Hello, and welcome to a special edition of All Good in the Brotherhood. I am Brother Francisco, and joining me today is my good friend Sarah Morganberger, who is a student at St. Vincent College studying theology and English. Today we are going to uh, do something different for uh, All Good in the Brotherhood. We will be reflecting with you on the Stations of the Cross. And what's special about this meditation is that they were actually written by Sarah and me. So as we enter into this meditation on the way of the cross, uh, we will begin with calming our hearts and our minds with a little silence and then begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We begin this way of the cross. Let us walk together. Let us walk with Jesus. Each step, each station, he accepts for you. The hardest journey a human has ever made was made for you. As we reflect on Jesus' passion, we are not just to recall it as we would a memory, but are truly to enter Christ's suffering as if we were present there on that dark day. As we pray these stations, we transverse the crooked, broken roads of Jerusalem. We weep along with John and Mary Magdalene, and we are led by the gentle hands of Mary, our mother. Come, let us walk with Jesus. The first station, Jesus is condemned to death. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Pilate went back into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom did belong to this world, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not here. So Pilate said to him, Then you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? It was preparation day for Passover, and it was about noon. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he handed him over to them, to be crucified. Do you listen to Jesus' voice? Do you know what it sounds like? 
His voice is different, clear, calming, and hopeful. Can you hear his voice over the clamor of competing voices around you, which tell you to be free, do your own thing, just walk away, but which are really just shouting, crucify him? Do you listen and live the truth? Or are you a liar who professes Jesus as Lord with your lips, but is selfish in your heart? When we hear and follow Jesus, we join the kingdom of truth. When we go our own way, we join the kingdom of chaos. Jesus is condemned for speaking the truth. Will you join your voice to his or to the crowd? Even if you do join the crowd like Judas, Jesus would still die for you. At the Last Supper, the apostles asked one another who among them would betray Jesus. They could not tell because Jesus loved Judas so well. Jesus then died for all of us, including Judas. In fact, he would have died for Judas alone. Are you willing to offer your suffering for those who cause you to suffer? The second station, Jesus takes up his cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? The cross, a symbol of total shame and rejection. Yet Jesus does not shy away from it and instead fully embraces it, the very device for his torture. In taking up the cross, Jesus transforms a symbol of shame to one of glory and hope. Often, our own crosses are places of shame that we would prefer to ignore. However, they may be the very means by which God has designed to bring us to heavenly glory. But it was not just a symbol of shame that Christ accepted when he took up his cross. But it was also the weight of every single sin committed throughout time. When we reject our crosses, we heap them upon Jesus. When we seek to gain what the world offers, we thrust our crosses on Jesus. When we sin in our selfishness, we make his cross so much heavier. As Christ lays the cross upon his shoulder, it begins to rub his skin raw. As countless splinters are driven into his flesh, he does not hesitate. He takes his first step, our sins acting stronger than gravity, attempting to bring him crashing down. As he takes this step, he looks at you and asks a simple question. 
Will you take up yours as well? The third station. Jesus falls for the first time. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. I am bowed and brought to my knees. I go mourning all day long. All my frame burns with fever. All my body is sick. Spent and utterly crushed, I cry aloud in anguish of heart. O Lord, you know all my longing. My groans are not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength is spent. The very light has gone from my eyes. My friends avoid me like a leper. Those closest to me stand afar off. Those who plot against my life lay snares. Those who seek my ruin speak of harm, planning treachery all the day long. As Jesus struggles on the road to Calvary, each step is more painful than the last. The cross crushes him under its weight, and as his strength wanes, it drives him to the ground. We are Christ's brothers and sisters, those who are supposed to be closest to him. Yet when we sin, we alienate ourselves from him and stand afar off from his suffering. Jesus falls for the first time because we ourselves fall. Though we desire to be faithful and holy, our broken humanity still chooses itself selfishly over others time after time. Jesus' body crumbles to the dry and dirty ground when we prefer the wide road over the narrow one that leads to paradise. Christ falls to his knees when we fall from grace, his very life within us. Our falls rob the breath from his lungs and he collapses, gasping for air, desperately wondering why his brothers and sisters would leave him. Though we are unfaithful, Jesus is always faithful. So he lifts his head, rises, and continues on his road of agony. The fourth station, Jesus meets his sorrowful mother. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And when the shepherds saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things, 
pondering them in her heart. Heart pounding, Mary pushes through the crowd, looking for her son. As she catches her first glimpse of him, her head begins to spin and her breath catches. So much blood. Why is there so much blood? She hardly believes the man covered in blood and torn skin, shuffling forward with the heavy cross on his back, is really her child. Suddenly, mother and son's gazes meet. Jesus' loving eyes fill with tears. Mama. He mouths wordlessly through cracked lips. Mary's heart shatters with agony, and she lets out a choked sob. And then she's running, because the only thing that matters in that moment is reaching her baby. A guard lunges towards her, but she easily pulls out of his grasp. She stops only when she reaches her son, cupping his face in her hands. She presses her forehead against his, thorns piercing her own skin. My love, she whispers, tears streaming down her cheeks. For a moment, mother and son gaze into one another's eyes. They speak, though without words. I want to take your place. I want to suffer and die, says Mary. I know, says Jesus. God is asking her to suffer more than death. He asked her to be the only one who truly understands the intensity of Jesus' agony on that day. Thy will be done. Suddenly, the moment is over, and Mary is violently jerked away from her son. As Jesus stumbles away, forced on by the screaming guards, Mary knows there is worse to come. Soon, she will watch, utterly helpless from the foot of the cross, as her beloved son's heart is broken, pierced by a centurion's spear. The Fifth Station Simon of Cyrene helps Jesus to carry his cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Two are better than one, because they are a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they are warm. But how can one be warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. This is not the cross Simon of Cyrene asked for. We do not often have the love and boldness to ask for suffering to offer for others. But when we do, we often reject what God gives us because it is not the kind of suffering that we want. How often do we abuse the gift of suffering and exchange prayer for complaint? Though he does not need to, Jesus does not ask us to suffer without bearing all the pains of the world himself. Filled with quiet strength, he carries his cross without objection. 
You may have heard the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. This platitude is not true. God might give you more than you can handle on your own, but he will never give you more than you can handle with his grace. Though this grace may not be felt, it is there. His power is made perfect in our weakness. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta described suffering as the kiss of Jesus. St. Ignatius of Loyola said that if God sends you many sufferings, it is a sign that he has great plans for you and certainly wants to make you a saint. St. Teresa of Avila wrote that, We always find that those who walked closest to Christ were those who had to bear the greatest trials. We must learn to see our sufferings as a gift from God, a gift that draws us closer to him and that can be used as a powerful prayer for others. Let us accept the cross that God allows us and carry it with love for others and for him. The Sixth Station Veronica Wipes the Face of Jesus We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart with a glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How sweet is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Jesus slowly trudges towards Calvary, the weight of the cross heavy upon his shredded back. The sun beats relentlessly upon him, and a mixture of sweat and blood pours down his face, blinding him. Worse yet are the curses and jeers of the people around him, faces he cannot see, but voices he recognizes. A woman stands to the side of the crowd, wringing her hands and weeping. Her heart aches for Jesus. But what could she do? She feels hopeless, powerless, and wishes the guards would arrest her too, so she could die with him. She could show the crowd what love is because they taunt love himself as he journeys towards his death. Suddenly, she notices Jesus attempting to blink the sweat and blood out of his eyes. She clutches her veil. Would this small action be enough? Veronica runs past the guards towards Jesus and tenderly wipes his face with her veil. Tears of compassion fill his eyes. Thank you for your love. Imagine this look, the gaze of Christ upon Veronica after she cleans his face. A gaze of pure love, unrelenting in its power, 
yet totally gentle in its force. For her small deed of compassion, Jesus in turn gives Veronica a precious gift. His face, his gaze of love imprinted on her veil forever. In doing so, Jesus communicates to Veronica that he in fact looks upon her and sees her always. He cannot turn away, not even for a moment, because his heart is ravished with love for her. This gaze holds you as well, unwilling to look away, not ashamed of what it sees. Even though our sins cause his bitter suffering, his eyes are fixed on you, his beautiful child. The seventh station, Jesus falls for the second time. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. I pour out my complaint before the Lord. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit is faint, you know the way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. I look to the right and watch, but there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No man cares for me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As Jesus continues on the road to Calvary, the weight of the cross increases and his body grows ever weaker. It becomes too much for him and he again collapses to the ground, the cross crashing on top of him, attempting to keep him pinned under its weight. What causes Jesus to stumble and fall a second time? It is those people who declare themselves his followers, but who follow their own way in their hearts. Men and women who bear the name Christian, but who refuse to conform their life to what it means. Jesus falls because of those who attend Mass on Sunday, but who hate and judge those sitting in the pews with them. He stumbles over those Christians who ignore the suffering of the innocent, the life of the unborn, and the plight of the poor. He lies on the ground struggling to get up because of Christians who will not forgive their brothers from their hearts. Jesus falls because of our hypocrisy. We misrepresent Christ in so many ways. If we misrepresent Christ, we then misrepresent love. Jesus shows us a love so deep that he is willing to suffer and die and yearns for us to know this love. He thirsts for communion 
with his beloved people. We as Christians are called to go out and share the good news of this love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Yet we reject this love and encourage others to do the same by distorting Jesus' image. The Eighth Station Jesus meets the women of Jerusalem. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. A voice is heard in Rama, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. When is the last time you cried for someone's lack of relationship with Jesus? When is the last time you begged God, broken-hearted, to bring someone into his love? The women of Jerusalem weep for love of Jesus. Their hearts ache relentlessly as they watch him suffer. But Jesus asks them to extend their compassion, to go deeper. When we pray for others, do we mourn for them, yearning for them to know God's love? Or do we judge and condemn them, praying without sympathy? Worse yet, are we apathetic to their suffering as they isolate themselves from love himself? Do we speak the poisonous words, do whatever makes you happy, as we ignore their sins and our own sins that keep us personally distant from Jesus? We cannot continue this way. We must trust in God's mercy and ask him to allow us to love like him. Let our hearts become softer and more receptive to the affliction of others. Let us not be afraid to share the truth with gentleness and kindness. There is no place in heaven for lukewarm souls. Like the women of Jerusalem, we are called to radical compassion. The Ninth Station Jesus falls for the third time. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. My soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones. 
and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. With violence it seizes my garments. It binds me about like the collar of my tunic. God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you do not heed me. Jesus grows so weary that each step becomes a battle, pain shooting through every inch of his body with the smallest movement. His pace slows, and the guards shove him forward. His body emptied of strength, Jesus collapses, the heavy wooden cross landing on his back with a sickening thud. Ears ringing and vision blurry, Jesus glances up at an onlooker standing at the front of the crowd beside him. Jesus' kind and imploring eyes are met with a cold stare of indifference. This onlooker came for a show, and now, after watching Jesus' journey to Calvary for a while, he has become bored and disinterested. John, standing at a distance, recognizes the look in Jesus' eyes. It was the same look he had given the apostles at the Last Supper. John remembers Jesus' trembling hands as he held up the bread. This is my body, broken for you. John remembers the longing look on Jesus' face. He appeared vulnerable, like a person waiting for a reply who has just confessed ardent love for another, unsure if the feelings are mutual. Do they not recognize you, my sweet and gentle Jesus? Have you not already offered all of yourself so willingly, only to be rejected in the Passion? Now it happens all over again in the Eucharist. Fully giving of himself, Jesus waits for us in the tabernacle always. Longing to be close to us, the ones he loves, he endures the loneliness and pain of our indifference. My sweet and gentle Jesus, despite how much you give, how much you love, people watch your sacrifice in the Mass with boredom and indifference. The Tenth Station Jesus is stripped of his garments. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, Turn the other one to him as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand him your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go with him for two miles. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The long road up Calvary has finished. From the hill of Golgotha, 
Jesus surveys those around him. The priests come to mock him. The soldiers jostle and prod his body, and the crowd, like a wild animal, thirsts for blood. He is exposed to their relentless hatred, their violent curses, their incessant blows. Still, this is not enough. They must expose him to more. The soldiers lay their hands on his cloak, and in silence, offering no resistance, Jesus hands it over to them. As they pull off his clothes, fiery pain courses through Jesus' body. His blood and sweat have caused the fabric to stick to his open wounds, and as the cloak is torn away, skin and flesh are ripped off with it. Jesus stands naked, suffering the cruelest humiliation, unable to hide from the eyes of those around him who sneer at his mangled, exposed body. In stripping him of his garments, Jesus' persecutors seek to strip Jesus of his very humanity, treating him so shamefully that they act as if he were not even a man. As the crowd looks on, glaring venomously at the bare body of the Savior, Jesus looks back, his soft eyes searching for a familiar face. Where is Thomas? Where has James gone? Peter, where are you? Jesus stands defenseless, stripped of his clothes. But so much worse, Jesus stands alone, stripped of his closest friends. The eleventh station. Jesus is nailed to the cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross... You have redeemed the world. They open their mouths against me, lions that rend and roar. Like water, my life drains away. All my bones are disjointed. My heart has become like wax. It melts away within me, as dry as a potsherd in my throat. My tongue cleaves to my palate. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of evildoers closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. Cold, dead iron hovers over Jesus' open palm. The soldier delivers a swift stroke, and the nail is driven into Christ's hand. Our sins of jealousy, greed, and anger add bite to the nail and seek to fasten Jesus firmly to the wood of the cross. Jesus' tender hands are treated with such cruelty. 
the same hands that held Mary's as a little boy, the same hands that touched blind eyes and made them see, the same hands that multiplied the loaves and the fishes, the same hands that raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, the same hands that gave us the Eucharist. These gentle hands now are pinned with malicious apathy to the cross. While it is our sins that nail him to the cross, they are not what keep Jesus there. If he wanted, he could rip the nails from his hands and be free of such a brutal death. But he does not. Why? His humble love. In obedience, Christ accepted death. And in humility, death on a cross. We run from our pain and suffering. We prefer that things go our way. But Christ ran into suffering because he was asked by his Father. Yet something greater moved Jesus to accept crucifixion. Still more held him on the cross in misery for hours. His intense love for you. From the cross, Jesus sees you, helpless, defeated, and broken. He wants to restore you, to give you new life. So he gives you his own. Those gentle hands by which he picks you up, the lost sheep, and places you on his shoulders, he allows to be pierced. Pierced by nails, pierced out of obedience, but most of all, pierced in absolute enraptured love for you. The Twelfth Station Jesus Dies on the Cross We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. It was our pain that he bore, our sufferings he endured. We thought of him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our sins, crushed for our iniquity. He bore the punishment that makes us whole. By his wounds, we are healed. We had all gone astray like sheep, all following our own way. But the Lord laid upon him the guilt of us all. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen, 
He is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus' kind and loving eyes are filled with tears of betrayal as each agonizing breath he takes racks his quivering body with pain, the cross bearing his weight. He looks down upon Mary, his mother, and John, his beloved friend, holding one another, bodies heaving with uncontrollable sobs. His heart clenches with grief. Despite his anguish, misery surpassing all human suffering, he thinks of others. He entrusts John to Mary, and Mary to John, knowing the multitude of people who will run to the arms of his mother for generations to come. Gentle Jesus hangs on the cross, thirsting, thirsting for the love of the Father who he feels has deserted him in his agony, thirsting for the love of his friends who have abandoned him in his suffering, thirsting for the souls who reject him, who despise him, who do not care to know him, always thinking of others, always living for others, and now dying for others. Jesus' love is not returned. His heart yearns for love, but the people he loves callously turn their faces from him. He turns to the Father, but the Father gives him no sign and no consolation. Jesus is in utter agony. His heart has plummeted to the lowest depths of desolation and loneliness. Yet even as his soul sank to this level, it was still overflowing with joy. This sounds strange and utterly contradictory. How could Jesus be joyful while enduring such bitter pain? It is because Christ on the cross is the fulfillment of the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, Jesus calls those who are hungry for righteousness, sorrowful, merciful, and persecuted, blessed, and tells them to rejoice. On the cross, Jesus thirsts for souls. On the cross, Jesus is the innocent victim, pure of heart, who in his ever-merciful love acts as the peacemaker, restoring the relationship between God and humanity. On the cross, Jesus' meek and humble heart mourns over unrepentant sinners, and in his poverty of spirit, he cries out to his Father. On the cross, Jesus, reviled, persecuted, and falsely accused by humanity's egocentricism, in an irony which only God could design, rejoices. This joy does not mask his pain. It does not reduce his suffering. 
In fact, this joy makes his misery even more bitter, for it is the joy born from doing God's will and serving others, embittered by the lonely feeling of being abandoned by both. Jesus dies, abandoned, rejected, alone. The Thirteenth Station The body of Jesus is taken down from the cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. They grow weak because of all my foes. The air is deathly silent, aside from the occasional calling of a bird, the creaking of wood in the wind, and the wails of a mother whose heart has been torn to shreds. Jesus' body lays listlessly in the arms of his mother, face distorted and swollen, skin hanging off his body in strips. The blood covering his whole body rapidly soaks into the fabric of Mary's dress. He is practically unrecognizable because of his wounds. John stands behind Mary, clutching her garments and weeping like a child. The one they love most has left them with nothing but each other. Mary looks at the face of her dead son and remembers holding him as a baby, the warmth of his small body, the falling and rising of his little chest against hers as he slept, his smooth skin, his peaceful expression. Mary knew that they would both suffer, but as she holds Jesus' cold, battered body in her arms, she wonders how she will survive this pain. Mary Magdalene kneels beside Jesus, her whole body shaking. She hesitantly reaches for one of his pierced hands and tenderly kisses it. Her lips are stained by his precious blood, a precious gift. She clasps his hands with gentleness and reverence, wondering what she could possibly do for Jesus now. How do we respond when Jesus reveals his wounds to us? Do we treat his heart with tenderness and compassion? Do we know he loves us even when it seems like he has left us alone? The 14th Station The body of Jesus is laid in the tomb. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Seized and condemned, he was taken away. Who would have thought any more of his destiny? 
for he was cut off from the land of the living, struck for the sins of his people. He was given a grave among the wicked, a burial place with evildoers, though he had done no wrong, nor was deceit found in his mouth. But it was the Lord's will to crush him with pain. By making his life as a reparation offering, he shall see his offspring, shall lengthen his days, and the Lord's will shall be accomplished through him. If you, O Lord, shall mark our guilt, Lord, who would survive? But with you is found forgiveness. For this we revere you. My soul is waiting for the Lord. I count on his word. My soul is longing for the Lord more than the watchman for daybreak. Let the watchman count on daybreak in Israel on the Lord, because with the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. Israel indeed he will redeem from all its iniquity. There is no emptiness like that of a tomb. The reality of death swallows light and sound like a black hole. In this tomb, the bread of life, the light of the world, is left dead and in darkness. At times, our souls feel like a tomb, decaying and devoid of life. It seems as if no light could penetrate this darkness. Nothing can rescue us from the depths to which our soul has plummeted. But when Christ enters this tomb, he does not rest. Even after all his suffering, he still has more to do. Jesus descends into the dead, a place where the very idea of hope sounds so foolish it borders on insanity. Jesus descends to the very lowest depths of a soul's isolation to rescue it. He descends into your personal hell where you feel cut off from God and everyone else to free you. Christ goes down to raise you up. He has redeemed us, all of us, for there is no iniquity he cannot save. Jesus enters our soul's dead state to restore them to new life. Just as he rises again, so too will we be brought to the glory of resurrection. A plenary indulgence is granted to those who prayerfully meditate on the way of the cross and who, within a week, pray for the Pope's intentions, go to confession, receive Holy Communion, and have a desire for a complete detachment from sin. So to conclude our prayer together, let us pray for the intentions of our Holy Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will shall be, world without end. Amen. May the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Words of Jesus to St. Faustina, as recorded in her diary. Lukewarm souls wound my heart most painfully. My soul suffered most dreadful loathing in the Garden of Olives because of lukewarm souls. They were the reason I cried out, Father, take this cup away from me, if it be your will. Devout and faithful souls brought me consolation on the way of the cross. They were a drop of consolation in the midst of an ocean of bitterness. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us. May the Lord bless you.